Hey, my name is Brett Keen from God TV Radio, and you are watching and listening to my podcast. By the way, not only can you participate in it by simply going to the links in my description and clicking the join link, all you have to do is bring either a webcam or a microphone, and you'll be able to have conversations with us. We welcome atheists, Muslims, pagans, Jews, Christians, people of all different faiths. We don't care where you come from, we don't care where you live, and we definitely don't care about your personal drama or negativity in your existence. We're here to have fun. We're here to enjoy ourselves. When you get an opportunity, you might want to check out my books, my music, my art, and all the things that I do and imagine up on a daily basis. Yes, I'm a very creative person. And... I love socializing. I love hanging out with people. Unlike 99% of the podcast on YouTube, we don't ask you to pay anything in order to come on the show. That's right. You can come in absolutely free, and what you have to say will be broadcasted to thousands of people across the internet. If you smell what the Brett King is cooking. That's right. Unlike a lot of these greedy, Patreon-driven YouTube channels who are just out to make a buck, we want to make friends with you. We want to meet you. We want to be able to get to know you. We love you. Let's be friends. Come on. Come on. Get in here. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. God bless. Hello ladies and gentlemen, my name is Brett Keen from God TV Radio. I hope you're all having a blessed day. If you would like to support God TV Radio, you can do a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can buy us a gift off of Amazon Wishlist, or you can buy one of my books. Afterlife Simulation is the newest installment of my novels and written works, or you could buy some of our music and art. Also, I sell merchandise such as t-shirts, mugs, towels, clothes, apparel, anything that your heart desires. God bless.
Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Brett Keen from God TV Radio. I hope you're all having a blessed day out there. I have been putting a link out to the public. Anybody's able to join. But for a little while, we're going to have a host, uh, Proverbs guy, as well as Rosie B, who wants to participate in the conversation. We're going to be talking about can Christians divorce? Is there issue with it? How does God feel about it? What does it look like in society? among the world and its perception, and all these different issues, stories will be shared. If anyone out there has any ideas or topics that you would like us to cover sometime, I promise we will look into it, and we will uh, see if uh, some of them, we will make them a priority and get it going. Let me get Proverbs guy up here and Rosie. Let's see what's going on. Uh, Proverbs guy, how has your day been? And then Rosie. I'll tell you what, Mr. King, the good Lord woke me up this morning, and I'm sitting here hanging out with my son, so yeah, life is great. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Why don't you tell people what your YouTube channel is? He's got some great videos over there, and he's also got some videos where he admits that I am a beautiful person. That's very hard for some people to say, but he's he's got the courage for it. Amen. <laughs> All right, hallelujah. So my handle is Proverbs Guy, and I am the host at the Proverbs 2717 YouTube channel. And for some odd reason, I am now one of the co-hosts of the God TV radio. I get to apprentice under what I consider the king of podcast radio, Mr. Brett Keen, and I find that just awesome. Ooh, buddy. Goodness gracious. I feel so much better about myself. Thank you, Proverbs. What about you, Rosie? Tell us a little bit about your day. Tell us about you. Um, my day was a blessed day. Like Steve said, yeah, the Lord woke me up this morning. And I had a, a very good time with um, a fellow sister in the Lord today. I'm getting to bond with her and share stories. So, and that's an unusual event considering I live out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I don't get very many uh, visitors. So, interesting. Interesting oh, happened today. It sounds like you got my, uh, my issue. I live so far out in the woods with my wife and everything. It's... Uh, it's, they say it's so far into the midst of the forest that Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th would get lost. It's rough. <laughs> it's about right. <laughs> so before we get into the whole divorce thing, so people can get to know you a little bit, tell us about how long you've been a Christian and how long you believed in God and all this and uh, uh, any kind of experience you'd like to share, and then we'll get into it. Me or Steve? I guess. Well, Steve's been hosting a couple of times. I think people are starting to get so the idea where he's coming from. So that'd be you, Rosie. So me. Okay. Um, well, I've been officially regenerate for, I, I want to say about 22, 23 years now. Um, when uh, God came into my life at a, the lowest point, um, I was in my first marriage and, um, was looking for grasping at everything to try to keep it together and fix it. Uh, it was very abusive, uh, physically and psychologically, but, um, through his divine intervention, he put people in my life that led me to him. 
and um, I would consider what the experience was, was absolutely a divine intervention. It was supernatural in origin. Uh, it was not anything natural of this planet where he, he revealed himself to me. And um, then I realized that I was a dirty fish. And then it was time to start cleaning me up, <laughs> if you want to put it in a nutshell. So, um, I, and, and he fixed it. He kind of showed me how the man that I had married was a representation of this same kind of nature as um, the man my mother had been married to in her second marriage, who was a pedophile. And he was also very abusive to her. So in that sense, he broke those chains that bound me and, and revealed um, why I was in that. And even though I was uh, trying to find any way to fix the relationship, ironically, uh, he was pulling me out of it. So and I've been um, being sanctified in his in in his sovereign authority and his will in my life ever since then but i i was actually saved at five but uh, i didn't know the lord uh until until i was about 22 and i'm 47 now so that's where that math comes in well we got somebody out here named aiden who is saying and i've talked to aiden before he says i like the ethereal music of the intro thank you uh, Adidas says, Brett, are you divorced? No, I've actually been married for almost 25 years now, but my mother and father, they divorced and it was crushing for my mother. Like Rosie, my mother went through a lot of uh, domestic abuse with my father. She also had bipolar manic depression. So she threw his hard back, just as hard back as he could. And he ended up leaving around the time I was about 13 years old. And I remember it being extremely challenging because at 13 years old, a boy or a girl is going through serious developmental things. They're trying to find their identity. And sometimes kids tend to blame themselves whenever their parents, they wonder to themselves, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Could have I done something and all that? It's, uh, it's rough, not just for the parents, but for the kids. And it can also be devastating for the family and all those kind of issues, which we're going to talk about. We'll get into some Bible verses in a little bit, but I think that this is a good start with the experience that Rosie shared. Um, when Rosie, as well as Proverbs, you both have had relationship issues. There's a lot of people out there, whether you're a non-believer or religious, have had issues. Did you know anything about these people that they were going to do this kind of thing to you later on? I mean, was there any like clue or hint that these people might end up being bastards or uh, people who just bring you down? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but uh, the flesh is weak. <laughs> you know, you, you, the, and in, in, in the unregenerate mind and, and the naivety of, of uh, I think, female nature um, for, for me, and it seems, you know, from what I've observed, uh, women who are naive tend to, and especially ones who have that, that, that kind of background that I have, tend to gravitate toward broken men. 
and a desire to want to fix them. So even though those signs might be there, I had to learn personally the hard way that what you see is what you get. Rosie, why do you think it is that uh, I noticed that there's quite a few men that have this nurturing behavior about them where they want to get involved with somebody and they feel like it's like putting together a puzzle. They want to fix the broken man that they see some kind of some kind of beauty in all the, the rough and raggedness or grittiness of the man. Why do you think that is? Why does the woman have that going on? And I'd love to hear Proverbs opinion as well. Oh, I can only speak from my personal experience, but that's, that's a really good question. Um, but I think it, for me personally, it speaks to the um, number one, that we're created in God's image and, and um, God loves us. And therefore we, um, you know, tend to, everyone has value and even the broken man, and especially that heart's desire to want to fix what is broken. And um, it could be a, a, a psychological residue um, like a seed or a weed seed, chaff, if you will, um, that uh, from one who has been um, damaged in some way, um, you know, sexually or physically from childhood. And so there is a, an empathy for when you're grown to seek out men like that in a, in a way to maybe reconcile what had not been reconciled um and you know to show someone that they are worth being loved perhaps does that make any sense yeah didn't yeah, say it was logical <laughs> and I, yeah, I didn't and mean i, it, I didn't say it was logical I, yeah. I appreciate your views on it. It sounds like you put a lot of thought into this, and I respect that. Proverbs, what's your uh, views? So I'll tell you what, Brett, this is going to be a, an awesome panel tonight because I feel like we've got both sides of the coin uh, represented, whereas Rosie was uh, unfortunate enough to come across a creep that she married her first go around. I actually was the creep in, in my first marriage. So, uh, my, my ex-wife was actually a wonderful wife, uh, a biblical wife and a fantastic mother. Um, unfortunately I was 22 years old when we got divorced and she left me because I was a struggling uh, addict. I was addicted to pain medication. So she had more than ample reason for leaving me. Um, so yeah, you know, there's always different situations um, when it comes to divorce. So it's very interesting that tonight on the panel, we have Rosie who, who was with the creep and and then on my side when I was in my 20s I was the creep. That's fair enough, fair enough. Very honest and encouraging of you to put it out there like that for sure. Now, Proverbs, if you don't mind me asking as well as Rosary, do you believe that sometimes people fall in love with an idea of what they want someone to be as opposed to who they actually are? It's as though they they just imagine what that person could be, and they're hoping not just to fix the person, but to recreate and break them down and make them into the, the man or the woman that they, they want for themselves. 
Yeah, great question, Brett. Um, I would say that that probably is the leading factor in the majority of divorces, right? I mean, sometimes you marry someone and you know who they are and then they end up changing on you, which was my situation. But a lot of times I think it's more common that it would be the opposite of that, right? Which is exactly what you just said. You fall in love with the idea of who you think that person is. And then over an extended period of time, you find out for certain that you were absolutely wrong and that the person you fell in love with never existed in the first place. Um, what would you say, Rosie? Wow. Sorry. I was gobbling up a piece there. That that's, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Um, Brett with, with your question is there, there is the answer there. You're exactly you know, <clears throat> looking at the good nuggets within the person, you know, kind of breaking them apart. And you're like, hey, if we can take all the ex extrapolate these good things and and just wash away the bad, then you can create this whole person. And I absolutely would agree with that. You know, you're, you're seeing something that isn't actually true, but you want it to be true. It's like, I'm going to make this person into my personal project <laughs> so and it does not ever go your way and in my experience anyway absolutely why do you think it is uh as well uh mr proverbs and rosie another thing that i've noticed in society it's something that's been around since the dawn of man but women seem to be attracted to the rebel the, the hard ass, you know, the survivor or whatever, but they don't seem to like the guy who wears the sweaters and, you know, is over playing the Xbox or the, you know, the computer kind of thing. Why do you, why do you think that that's an issue? Why is women attracted to that when it may be that the guy who's uh, what some would refer to using a slang word nerdy, they don't go for What's up with that? Yeah, I'll take a crack at this, Brett. I actually think it's a really easy uh, question to answer. You know, God designed women to be attracted to masculinity, just like he uh, designed men to be attracted to feminality. And what's funny is in modern culture, we're trying to completely wipe out masculinity and we're trying to bring everybody closer to the middle. Like you said, the sweater vests and the playing video games and masculine traits are almost demonized nowadays. So on those rare occasions when a woman finds a manly man or like you said, the bad guy who is usually a lot more masculine, um, it's almost like finding a unicorn and they don't think about about, okay, is this a hot stove I'm about to touch? Because it's so unique and so once in a lifetime in their eyes to find a unicorn, they just want to rope it in as soon as possible. Fair enough. Fair enough. What about you, Rosie? What's your thoughts on that? Why the rebel? Why the rebel without a clue? Um, Steve brought up a, a couple of interesting things about that, that I hadn't really considered a unicorn. Um, but I, I would uh, tend to agree with the, you know, the masculinity, but there's a difference between a person being masculine 
and just a downright masculine creep. And I think I, I can only speak for myself again. I mean, this is just experience is that there's an unhealthy. And we're talking about the creep, not masculinity, right? Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to clarify before I start to answer that. Not necessarily just masculine because a man can be a gentleman and also be masculine at the same time. But there's a difference between observing uh, a man and watching how he treats people, how he talks to people, how he talks about people, and then hearing those things that internally make you almost cringe, but that unhealthy distortion of wanting to change, excuse me, the wanting to change a man, um, that that is a curse that is like when when you talk about in the beginning after the fall that is a curse from the garden it's like widespread it's a it can be applied as a broad brush you know your desire will be for your man and in the context it means to you want to rule over him you want to dictate so you know, with that in mind, and then I don't know, it's more nowadays, in my opinion, that, that relationships, it's more of a unicorn to find a good man, as opposed to the bad men are everywhere. You know, the, the creeps are everywhere. <laughs> in my experience, that, uh, I... Do you both think that maybe there's the correlation is, and this is just an opinion on this, because I've asked my wife about it. I asked her, I said, honey, why did you marry a goon like me? You really want to die of old age alongside me? I mean, seriously? And she says, well, honey, it's not just that you're rough and tough. It's not just that you're a brute and all that, but you've got a marshmallow heart. And I know that if mm. I ever got into it with the world, you'd be there, you'd stand there and you'd protect me where I couldn't get that from some guy in a sweater who's going, dad, what's on the Xbox? You know, that's, I think that's what it is. A woman's looking for a protector, someone who will be there for her through thick and thin. That could be, that's at least what my wife tells me. And I've made the decision that she is always right in every conversation we have. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, Brett. Um, and, you know, I do think that uh, a huge part of being masculine is being that dependable figure in a young woman's life. So, I mean, I think that makes total sense, actually. We got somebody down here who's asking a question. They're wanting to get right into the Bible. They're saying, does the Bible say if you are divorced because your spouse left, you can get remarried with no violation of God's word? And I've got quite a few passages up on the screen that I've been looking into. But I'm going to give Rosie as well as uh, Mr. Proverbs their opportunity to respond to these uh, questions first. And remember, I put the link out to the public. If there's anybody that has had experiences with relationships, if you've had heartbreaks or success, come on in here and weave your awesome magic, please. All right. So that's the question. Did you guys hear what Danny D asked? Yeah. So do you want to go first, Rosie, or would you like me to take it? Um, do you have a more formulated opinion? 
I actually do think I have a pretty good concept of it. Um, being raised in a, a Torah obedient home, I have a really good grasp of Hebrew culture and Hebrew mindset. And since the scriptures was written 99.999% from a Hebrew perspective, I think it's very valid, and um, I think it's uh, valuable in this talk. So the scripture, right. yeah, so the scripture definitely says that if you are divorced and you remarry, you are committing adultery. Um, that's indisputable, and... You know, Jesus even says, like, if you uh, if you look upon a married person with lust, then you are also committing adultery. And I think that's where a lot of, especially Protestants, get hung up on. They're like, well, case closed. That's it. But there are other other scripture verses, for instance, the one that Kent Hovind likes to quote uh, quite often, where it says, if the unbelieving depart, then you're not in bondage. Well, that's a really odd scripture verse if you don't know Hebrew context and Hebrew culture. So here's the situation. Back in that day and time, nine times out of ten, if you were to leave your spouse and divorce them, one of two things would happen from the community. Either one, you'd be dragged to town square and you would be stoned to death, freeing your spouse to remarry someone who actually cared about them, and... The second option would be that the elders of your local synagogue, your local temple, um, the Levites, would deem you an unbeliever, which would also free you from that bondage. And that's something that Protestants are completely ignorant to, um, and not even uh, at fault of their own, but they just don't dig into deeper biblical history. They don't dig into Hebrew culture because they almost think it's like offensive to Western Christianity, which is absolutely absurd because all it does is clarify and complement our faith, period. You know, I want you to think of this, Brett, right? You have a young woman. She leaves her father's home. She goes off with her husband. He's supposed to care for her, right? There's not a lot of jobs in this period in history for women to do, uh, except be a homemaker. And then her husband finds a younger woman and decides he's going to run off with her. Are you telling me that a just God would expect her to beg and be poor for the rest of her life and not have a hedge of protection, uh, a covering of a husband? That's absolutely absurd. And the only way that makes sense is, again, if you are 100% ignorant to Hebrew customs and culture. Now, I got an interesting biblical question for you and Rosary uh, to go along with what you're saying there, Proverbs. Are you familiar with a character in the Bible by the name of Onan? Mm, no, I not offhand. I might be aware of the story, but do you want to fill us in? Well, this woman was married to this man, and she loved him. She cared about him. But unfortunately, um, nature took over. The man ended up dying. And God actually instructed this woman to marry the brother, uh, basically have a relationship with the brother. Unfortunately, Onan did not, uh, how shall I say, he did not do as God completely said on how to handle it and things didn't work out too good for Onan. and people can look that up later if you want but the point is in the scripture Onan was actually instructed to uh have a relationship with this uh well the brother's wife and stuff 
Did you ever hear about that? that yes. No, no. So the story you're talking about is a good one. The The husband died, and God wanted to be able to preserve that man's line. So he, uh, he wanted the brother to sleep with her and come into her in order to further the deceased husband's line. And the living brother did sleep with her, but instead of fulfilling that seed within the woman he spilled his seed instead making it a wicked act because he didn't fulfill god's will is that the one you're talking about that's exactly the one but the instruction is still there showing that god actually did not want this person to spend the rest of their life alone i notice that there's a lot of christians especially on the internet they're wondering should i be alone now should I not be able to remarry? Should I not be able to have a relationship? And obviously, it's, it's terrible. If you're going to live for up to 80 to 100 years on this earth, a person ought not to be alone. And that, to me, was a clear passage where God is saying, time to move on. It's time to continue to sow seed. Yeah, and just to back up what you're saying, Brett, um, I know that there's probably at least one viewer out there right now who's saying, well, yeah, but wait a minute, her husband died, um, making it legal in God's eyes for her to move on and remarry, so on and so forth. Um, and that's that's your mindset. I understand that. However, again, um, you're not connecting all the dots if you don't go back through Hebrew culture, right? Because um, even if that husband just divorced her, either one, the church the elders will deem the person who left and divorced in the first place unjustifiably that is um an unbeliever freeing that ex-spouse or you would be stoned to death in the town square for that transgression so god never ever ever intended for somebody to just be stuck and you have to cross your fingers and hope that somebody uh knocks out your ex one day or that they just happen to be stepping under a boulder um it's a very ignorant uh a very ignorant understanding of the hebrew scriptures which is exactly what the Old and New Testament is. It's a Hebrew scripture that was adopted by Western culture. You got any thoughts on that, Rosie? Or are you still gobbling down some dinner over there? No, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, and I lost my connection. So I didn't actually hear uh, Steve's original answer to that. But with what I have heard, I fully agree. Um, I don't really have a, a Western culture uh worldview per se um i do tend to dig toward and un try to understand um uh, not so much the levitical stuff that he is pretty savvy on um but what did jesus mean you know um and the there's the the one uh anyone who divorces his wife causes her to commit adultery that is not put on her that is saying your fault for one so he's the one you know because he made a vow before god promised to take care of this person or vice versa women do it too i can't you know it's not just the men um and like you said i, I don't believe that god intends for everybody to be alone some people do choose celibacy afterwards thinking that they can't do it that they won't be good enough but 
um, you know, with with God, all things are possible. Um, you were talking about old scripture. I, I vaguely remember that one, but another one that comes to mind is, I believe it's um, Hosea. And I, I understand that the scripture is a description, a shadow of how the Gentiles are grafted in. But, you know, he, he tells Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. Well, she's totally a, you know, fornicator. And, um, and continues to accept her back over and over. Am I right, Steve? Yeah. So, um, so she was actually a but, representation of Israel and right. the grafted in. So yeah, you're absolutely right, Rosie. Right. But it still is a legitimate thing that happened. So, um, you know, God told him to go and marry her. Yeah, and you know, there are parts in the New Testament where like Paul says, you know, <laughs> hey, if, if you can do this walk and be single, it would be better for you. Um, because you'll have so much more time to spread the gospel. You'll only have one yep. focus. You won't be worried about worldly matters like taking care of a family. You can just travel when God tells you to go. But the scripture also says that it's not good for a man to be alone. And that's not one-sided, right? Because God's not sexist. We're equal heirs in, in God's kingdom. So it's not good for a woman to be alone either, especially right. when a woman was always designed to have that that covering of a husband or her her biological father over her like god doesn't desire to leave people destitute and lonely that's not the nature of god people who think mm -hmm. that that's the nature of god it's just a very sad interpretation of scripture and and again we need to go back through with the hebrew lens and kind of gather more context because when you do that it makes the scripture so much more merciful and loving than some mm -hmm. protestants would make it Mm, yeah. I'm going to bring up something a little controversial here. I've uh, been in many, many shows where I've listened to people talk about their personal experiences and some of the things they've been through. I've met people where they say they're a couple, and then what ends up happening is something bad happens down the line or something sways them away from their faith or their belief. And then one of the people in the couple end up becoming either a non-believer or they just they start having doubts for a while there for whatever the issue is. Now, here's the interesting thing. Some of these folks have told me that they're, the churches that they used to go to actually tried to convince their spouses to leave them because they were unevenly yoked. But when I look in the Bible under 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 13, it says, And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Now, obviously, there's circumstances in the Bible, and there's even some wording about certificate that you have to give to a woman through a divorce. But I find it interesting that God not only mentions the Christian believers, but also makes sure that how you should handle it if you're in a relationship with a non-believer as well. What is you guys' thoughts on that? Well, uh, there's more for support on, on that verse as well. And I, I believe it, it might be Proverbs, but um, where God is saying about the unbeliever for the woman or vice versa to, to stay with them and reflect God's love so that they could possibly be saved eventually. So 
um, you know, depending on how peaceable it is. I mean, if, if the woman is being abused, I, I would say flee. Um, I, I believe um, our, our dear friend uh, Brian has, has uh, brought up the, the Levitical laws on that type of thing where um, God the, c condemns that, the, the, the beating, which is interesting because I didn't know that. Um, and I tried to stay with the person who was like that for me. And, and God was the one who essentially cut my ties and, you know, made me where I could not move for that man to walk out of my life because I was not willing for him to leave. So, um, <clears throat> Betsy. Yeah. So, okay. So there's two things that we need to look at with scriptures is one, God often allows things that does not please him, right? So in the Old Testament with figures like Abraham um, or, or even Jacob, God's intention was always for one man to have one wife. Yet we see where these big uh, righteous figures have multiple wives. Well, that was never God's intention, but it's something that God allowed. And likewise was with Divorce. Divorce in the Old Testament had several reasons why you could get divorced. Um, and like Rosie just stated, one reason was adultery. Another reason was if the man's beating up his wife, God doesn't want a woman being beat. Like, he's a merciful God, and this is in the Old Testament. But Jesus tells us that the reason Moses allowed that was because of man's hardened heart. So again, mm. this is something that God allowed but it wasn't something he desired. Now, if you are a woman and you're in a relationship where you're being beat up every day, I just want you to know, like, you are free. God does not want you to be beat every day until eventually he goes too far and you don't wake up. That's not a, a sovereign, loving God. Um, anyone who would try to make that argument just, you know, clearly doesn't have the, the relationship with a loving God that they would maybe lead others to believe that they did. Right. And the Bible clearly teaches so that we're to treat our wives like the protectors of the home and uh, basically love them like we love the church. This kind of uh, representation seems like if you love your wife and everything, you're going to take care of things, you know, keep the keep the grass cut and the building growing and doing good things, not trying to cause harm or destruction. Right. And that falls like solely on the husband's shoulders. You know, a husband is supposed to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Well, what does that mean? It, it's actually mm. unattainable. It is, it is physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally impossible for a human man to love his wife the way Christ loves the church. That bar is always moving. You will never catch up to it. And what that does is it forces the husband to try to be a better husband tomorrow than he was today. It is, again, a formula that God uses to ensure that husbands treat their wives kindly, because according to scriptures, they are the weaker vessel. Um, and that doesn't mean that they're less of a human, but that's the design of a family that God ordained. And he has these defaults set into marriage to try to protect the wife because he's that mm -hmm. merciful and loving. And, and just one more thought on that. It's a, it's a sacrificial self-sacrifice. It's dying to self every day for the sake of your wife. What did he, how did he love the church? He died for the church. 
And mm. so a man who is willing to, and I'm not trying to like, you know, that the woman on the pedestal, but um, he essentially is kind of that way um, that, you know, to sacrifice your own pleasures for the sake of giving her what she needs. Well, that's what love is, doesn't it? Love is sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Love is giving unto yourself. So I agree with you. And on, on the other side I'm of the gonna... coin, the other, I'm sorry, the other side of the coin, and to love, to um, honor and and uh, love love your husband as unto the Lord. So there is a balance. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. Right. And I uh, I feel from my own perspective that uh, the woman and the man, and I know that some people have a different rank of how they put women and men based upon their perspective or how they were raised up or grew up and all that. But I think that if men and women treat each other equally in the household and in the marriage, and the reason why I say that there's equality taught in the Bible, which a lot of atheists would disagree and people out there might say something else about submission, is what did Jesus say? He said that you are no longer two, you've become one. And what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to do unto others as we want done unto ourselves. We become one unit. Does that make sense, Proverbs, or do you got something else? No, I mean, not only does that make sense, Brett, but that's even balanced and verified in Genesis. If you remember, we started in the garden as one. God puts Adam to sleep. He forms woman from man's rib, making them two. And then through marriage, in the act of making love to your spouse in marriage, which is how God designed it, you become one again. So it's impossible to be like over someone that you are one with, right? You can't be over yourself. Now, on a logistical scale, uh, uh, a reasoning like that, yes, somebody has to be the leader. You know, you can't have two left feet. That's just common sense. So God does put the man over the, the wife in that aspect, but it's not a man over a woman as in he's superior to her. It's a man over the woman as the protector of the home and the pastor of the home. Um, so it's, it's not even, you know, how we think automatically like, okay, he's better than the wife. No, you guys are one, but he is your protector. Right. Where he goes, you go. Where she goes, he goes. And whatever they benefit, they benefit together because they are one. That makes sense to me. So I got a controversial verse here. This will be controversial for some because we're going to discuss it. Matthew 1, 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, it's stating that during this time the law was um, set in a place and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Do you guys know who's being talked about here? Yeah, this is Mary. the husband of Mary. So would you like to explain, Proverbs or Rose, uh, why it is that Joseph was actually quietly thinking about divorcing Mary and what the consequences would have been had he done it publicly? Stoning, I well, believe. Yeah. 
Yes, exactly. It was a stoning. And if you continue reading on in that passage, Brad, it actually goes on to explain what's going on. It was because he was a righteous man that he decided to do it quietly to spare her from stoning um, because he was a righteous man. Um, so you had multiple options at that time. If you were uh, just... Uh, a sensitive man and you were really upset and you wanted to punish your your wife for that that adulterous act which is what um it was thought that mary had been because you know at that point in time joseph didn't believe she was pregnant with the son of god so he had the option to either have her stoned so he could remarry or he could do what the old testament called put her away and that is just a more merciful way of getting rid of her but without the chance of her being deemed an unbeliever which would exile her from the community and it also saved her from the possibility of being stoned by a bunch of angry relatives so it was like an act of mercy that joseph wanted to do that now i don't know how many times rose has been in a uh, chat room or whatever some kind of environment like this but rose if you could do me a favor when you're not talking can you mute it Unfortunately, when you have your mic that loud and going like that, Proverbs will start to make squeal noises back there. It's called feedback. So if you could, when you're not talking, mute the mic, please. Thank you. If you're wearing headphones, you'll do better. You won't have to mute it as often. Microphone buttons at the bottom, by the way. Yeah, I, I have been told that before with him. I have earbuds. And I did notice the the feedback, but I didn't know what that why it was um, doing that. But yes, yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, his sound is hitting your mic and then reverberating back. You're basically causing an infinite echo <laughs> to the system. It's all good. It's all good. I understand everybody's learning how to do these things. So basically, I mean, not only did we show that Joseph himself, you know, the... Um, not the biological father of Jesus, but the guy who was with Mary had options. He had options that stoning did not have to be the case is where you hear some people say, no, 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 that was the only option they could do according to the law. But he was showing that he could even be righteous and still have other alternatives and options. And as you said, he didn't even know it wasn't until angels visited him, right? Let him know what was going on. And then, Things got adjusted, and they ended up having a beautiful marriage. Yep, absolutely right. Um, which I think is awesome, because Joseph is a really overlooked character. Um, but truthfully, he's like the most awesome stepfather in world history, in my opinion. Um, and I really don't think that... I really don't think there's enough research and study on Joseph because after a certain period of time, he's just kind of never mentioned again. So people don't really know what's going on. But uh, yeah, Joseph was just a super honorable man. All right. We're, we are starting to come up on almost an hour of doing the show. So I'm going to throw some stuff that's been going out in the world to get you guys' perspectives and views. We've we've done some Bible verses. We'll do some more if you guys want or have questions about that. But I wanted to ask Proverbs because I think Proverbs is very passionate about this. I don't know where Rosary stands, but it appears as though the very institution of marriage is under attack in our modern day. It appears as though it's been turned into a parody of itself and doesn't have the significance or spiritual value that it once had. 
Is there a reason for that? Do you have opinions and theories for this? This is simply what I have noticed. Would you like to go first this time, Rosie? Um, sure. I mean, I think it's um, the mystery of lawlessness that Jesus speaks of. Um, you know, the the end of days, it, it's almost like the curse in the garden has been amplified and everything is just increasingly getting darker. Um, that marriage in and of itself, I mean, was just a couple, two, three, no, maybe three and a half, four years ago is when the institution of marriage had changed from a man and a woman to, you know, same sex. And, um, and, and then things have progressed even further. And uh, I, I just, I find it very heartbreaking. I find it very sad, but I'm not surprised because the scriptures reveal it all to us, that these things are going to happen. And, um, you know, I, I'm, like I said, I'm just, I'm not surprised. I just, I find it very sad because I believe that a strong foundation of, um, of traditional marriage is what is going to set up children to be successful um, and uh, stable, you know, mentally, spiritually, and physically. They're, they're generally more successful, they, and, and statistically, they generally make more money um, than people who grow up in broken homes and that don't know the basic skills of taking care of a family, you know, carrying on that kind of a nuclear family unit. So I actually, I totally agree with everything that Rosie just said, um, but I do believe it's actually a two-part thing. For one, it's exactly, again, what Rosie said. It is the natural um, deterioration after the fall that families would start falling apart like that um, because all of humanity, all of nature is falling apart ever since the garden. But it's actually something else also that's a lot more sinister than that. It is Satan's attack on the church, right? The church is made up of families, the body of Christ. So in order to infiltrate and destroy the church, you have to destroy the family unit first. And we have seen an assault on the family unit like never before in the history of recorded mankind uh so i i agree totally with what rosie said it is just a natural part of the deterioration of culture in marriage after the fall but it is also a very clever orchestrated plan of the enemy of Hasatan, the accuser of the brother, to destroy the family unit in order to finally try to destroy Christ's church you know, I've totally uh, seen repeatedly nowadays where um, people there, they just simply see, they'll claim that sex is nothing but a, a natural process and that there's nothing that transcends, there's no love that's actually involved anymore. And then with these marriages, anybody could roll up into Las Vegas and, you know, within, you know, 
an hour or two of drinking, they can convince each other to go do this. I also notice that a lot of people jump right into it too quickly and they don't get to know each other as people. And that happens with a lot of younger folks as well. They Their hormones are so hot and going that they think, man, this is so good. This is what I want to do. And they don't even figure out what's happening. It's a lot different whenever you meet somebody that you like and everything and you enjoy when you're out in public. There's a little bit of a honeymoon period. But when you start living with them, when you start existing with them, there's one other thing I bring up and you guys are more than welcome to hit it as well. Now, this is going to be weird. I'm going to give you a hypothetical. But let's say Proverbs in the future, you end up marrying somebody and they and this is a real thing in society. Your wife turns around and looks at you one day and says, honey, I just feel like I'm a man now. I, I just feel like that's the deal and that's what we're going with. And the government seems to protect that idea and this ideology now. What would you do in this predicament? Wow, Brett. Um, excellent question, man. And to be honest, you know, part of me wants to default to what can you do? Like if your wife after 10 years of marriage decides that she's suddenly just attracted to the same sex, you know, what can you do? Um, I can offer you a reason for that. It's the deterioration of our culture. It is the... <sighs> It is the culture trying to make women more masculine, more independent is what they call it, and trying to make men more feminine and less masculine. And when that happens, what happens is you really start blurring the lines to where a woman that uh, say your wife works out with at the gym can end up being more masculine than your husband at home who plays video games and just wants to play housewife and refuses to work. And... It's a very sad situation, but honestly, that's that's the answer. Like when we take masculinity out of men and we put it into women, it causes confusion, which we know is not of God because God is not the author of confusion. I've seen something really unusual about a couple of years ago and stuff, but it's still going on today. There are proverbs and uh rosie that really bothers me and i'm not really sure how to uh, work it out in my head but i seen that there was a couple that had been married for many many years even longer than my wife and i and one day the husband woke up and said uh, honey i'm a female and not only am i a woman but i am six years old and i want to be adopted by people this is a true story this is real folks this person decided to move out of the home. They gave up their kids and their wife so they could be adopted by some strange people who put this person in a room and allowed them to be a six-year-old woman. Strangely enough, for whatever reason, they allowed bikers to come in and out to have relationship with the six-year-old that was now 60, well, that was actually 60 years old in real life. And I don't understand how anybody could deal with that. I don't understand how someone who's married to someone that long and then they just flip on them like that. What are you going to do? How do you handle that? Okay, so for one thing, and I know that this is going to come off as callous, and I promise everyone who's listening that that's not my heart's intention um, because my heart goes out for people in these kinds of situations. I, I don't want to demonize them, but 
a big part of it is that we are unwilling to address that part of society as a mental illness. And I know the example that you're talking about, Brett, I've actually heard of that myself. And if that's not a clear cut case of mental illness, I'm not sure what is. I mean, this is a 60 plus year old man who decided one day that he wanted to be a six year old. I believe it was a six year old girl and not just be a six year old girl, but is basically wanting to role play pedophilia, um, you know, to be quote unquote molested by older biker men. Uh, that is the clear cut case of mental illness, but we have a society that we've allowed to get so rampant and out of control. We're no longer allowed to call these things a mental illness. We have to call it an accepted part of life, right? This is who they are. And the more and more we go along with the status quo and we refuse to call a mental illness a mental illness, which would allow for treatment and counseling, uh, and we start going along with it and, and playing along the role, it's just going to progress and get much worse. When we do this political correctness game that people are going along with, does it not hurt the person who's mentally ill in the process to basically encourage and endorse the behaviors and allow people to violate, manipulate, and take advantage of someone who's in that state? I mean, there used to be a time in the last 20 years of me existing on this disgusting, gross planet where if a person had problems, they could go get therapy. Um, supposedly, there was a person that you could go to and talk to about issues or, or get some kind of psychiatric help. And it seems like a lot of people are dealing with weird stuff like this with relationships. And let's face it, Proverbs. Marriages are already hard enough. We don't need all this extra baggage and craziness to just completely bend it to the point it breaks. What do you think, Rosie? Um, the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's awful. Um, it's it's now the philosophy is truth is subjective. Your truth. And you can be whatever you imagine you can be. And it it just feeds the flesh of self-indulgence. You don't want responsibilities. You don't want to have to take care of people. Fine. I can just believe whatever I want to self-indulge. You know, the, the scriptures say that people are going to love pleasure more than they're going to love God. And, and God's whole you know, his schematic or his drawing is, is a beautiful plan for, for, um, his creation. And it, it, there's a depravity and a delusion that it just seems to me that he is giving them over because so many are rejecting the truth. And it, there's I, I think it's it's really sad. Like what you're saying, it's you have to affirm it now. And if you don't, then you're in danger of violating or, or losing your job. Where and I, if I'm not mistaken, I think a lot of these people there's the there's a higher rate um, of of suicide and depression in these. They're not even they're not even fringe anymore. <laughs> you know, um, like you can be a dog, 
you know, um, children in, in, in classrooms, I believe it was California there, you know, they have to affirm a child who believes she's a cat and there's a litter box in the classroom. And if you try to tell the, the teacher or somebody tries to tell her that, uh, that she's not a kitty cat, that she's a human being and she's there to learn, the teacher can get fired. I mean, what kind of society where their brain has literally fallen out of their head? You know, I you know, remember whenever I was transitioning over to Christianity Rosary, I had a hard time grasping the idea that the the world could be so dark and so polluted that one day some antichrist comes and is able to convince people. I guess I underestimated the ignorance and stupidity of humanity. How could the people actually allow a mark to be taken or you know, disavow God and do all these things. I remember transitioning thinking, is that even possible for that to happen? But now I live in a day and age where I'm being told what I'm able to say, how I'm supposed to act, how I'm supposed to behave, how I'm supposed to answer a phone, yada, 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 all the way down the line of things that are not only spiritually wrong, but scientifically wrong. And now it all makes sense. I, I think that you guys might be right about a, a lot of what you've said tonight. It's just uh, shocking stuff, shocking culture. Yeah, and if I could add to that, Brett, it actually makes perfect sense where we're at today, right? Because take the institution of marriage. The institution of marriage is an institution that was designed by God with boundaries that he set himself uh which are the keys to a successful, happy marriage, right? But we are in a society where we deem the laws of God as oppressive. We deem that relationship with God and obedience to God as a form of slavery. So we, we trick ourselves into thinking that separating ourselves as a culture from God is liberating ourselves. But all we're really doing is kicking dirt over the boundaries that he set. And once you do that, of course you're going to mess up the institution that he designed because you're trying to live outside of his will for that institution. And he set up those boundaries to make that institution thrive. Uh, so when we take all of his principles away from it, of course it's not going to succeed. And I'm, I'm really surprised, actually, that we're not more uh, worse off already than we are Although, just hang on, because in the blink of an eye, we'll probably be caught up to where, you know, we would all think we would be. Yeah, I've been asked by uh, some folks out there, uh, especially non-believers, they throw this up. They say, why is it in America, if it's a Christian nation, why does it seem like there's so many people who are religious who are falling into divorce and all these issues? I mean, my goodness, in case these people are blind and they're not seeing what's happening... There's a lot of folks who feel intimidated and pressured by society and by their family and their jobs and how they have to act and how they have to behave. From what you were saying, Proverbs, it seems to me on a philosophical level, the more you erase God out of existence, in doing so, you're erasing parts of yourself and your own rationality and logic in the process. And the more God fades away, the more you become non-existent. Yeah, that, no, Powerful. that's absolutely that's absolutely true, Brett. Um, the more we separate ourselves from God and His will uh, and His designs, the worse it's going to get. You got something to add, Rosie? 
not a whole lot. He really hit the nail on the head with that. I was like, yeah, that's you, what you, what you're saying is exactly right. Um, you know, uh, that's all I had. Yeah. Powerful. So is there anything anyone else would like to add or anybody have an opinion on this? I was listening to you earlier, Rosary, and I agree with Proverbs on this. I don't think that any woman or man should stay in a relationship where they're being abused, not just physically, but if you're in a relationship where someone's abusing you mentally and spiritually and all that, and you really feel like it's tearing you down, it's breaking your heart, and nothing that you say, nothing that you've tried whether it's some kind of marriage counseling or going to your priest or preacher, in the case of a non-believer, uh, whatever convention you go to or whoever you're talking to, if it's simply not working out, I don't believe that God wants you to be tormented on earth and go through just absolute discrepancies and pain to make your existence unbearable. God represents himself as love. And that having a bad marriage and sitting in it and basically binding yourself to something that's going to harm you, I cannot possibly imagine that is what an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God would do. Any uh, Anything else you guys want to share? Yeah, I would just like to, to briefly point out, so the literal, you know, when you ask people, you know, Christians, the definition of sin, they often give you all kinds of various answers of, of what the definition of sin is, but the literal definition of sin is transgression of the law. And I'm not trying to say that we're in bondage under the law anymore, but those principles still uh, apply. If you want to know um, how to get to the root of what sin is, we still have the format. We still have the guidelines of what sin is. Sin is transgression of God's laws, um, specifically the laws that Moses gave us. And it, we have to start embracing that to understand where we're going wrong. That That's for starters. Um, so take Moses, like if you're in an abusive relationship, your spouse is abusing you, Moses gave guidelines for you to get out of that. Now, again, that's not what God desires all the time, but it is something that God allowed. And if, like, say you're married to a husband and your husband is addicted to pornography and as a side effect of that, he's neglecting you in various marital ways, then that's adultery. Your husband is committing adultery. So if he refuses to give up pornography and start paying attention to you, you're not in bondage to him if he's going to keep ignoring you. Like God doesn't desire people to be alone inside a marriage. God does not desire for someone to be abused inside a marriage. You know, that spouse in those situations, the, the spouse who's in the wrong, has already broke the vows. They've already set it into motion. So I just want people out there to understand, like, you're not stuck being beat every day. You're not stuck being neglected every day. You know, God designed people with these sexual urges, these sexual needs to be fulfilled, which is why he gave us spouses. You know, God designed sex, and he designed sex to be fun and enjoyable, and it's something that we actually long for. All he did is set up guidelines for sex. It's supposed to be within the institution of marriage, but within that institution, he wants you to enjoy it. He doesn't want you to be neglected of it. 
And even if you're, and I agree with everything Proverbs said on that, and for people out there who may not be Christian, who may be non-believers, who refuse to obey God's laws, you got to think about it like this whenever it comes to pornography while you're actually married or even in a relationship or engaged. What would you imagine if you were to come home to be with your wife? You walk in the room and you see that she's looking at other men or women or whatever the case might be, and she's gratifying herself in some way while she knows that she's involved with you. The first question that you're going to ask yourself, whether you're the natural man or a spiritual man or woman, is why is the person doing this for? Am I not enough? Do, do I not give this person enough? Do I not give them my soul and my body and my heart? Have I not given them everything for this marriage to actually work? Why do they need this woman on the screen? Why do they need this? Am I not pleasing them? It basically what you're doing is you're demoralizing and devaluing your partner. Whether you believe in God or not, that's exactly what's going to happen. Anybody with a common sense would have to wonder why you would do that instead of simply go in the other room and be with them. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely, Brett. And another interesting point that I'd like to just bring up while we're on the topic of pornography, and I'm not 100% sure how the conversation evolved there, but pornography is absolutely something that affects the body of Christ because it's so addictive and so many people are in bondage to it. For one, you know, there's two aspects of adultery in the scriptures. If you are married and you sleep with someone who's not your spouse— you have committed adultery. And if you're single and you sleep with someone else's spouse, you've committed adultery. I just read a, a, a recent article that 30% of porn stars are actually married. Um, so if a man has watched 10 different pornography flicks throughout his life, three of those flicks you've watched of a married woman. Um, statistically speaking. So not only are you committing adultery against your spouse, but you're also committing adultery with the woman you're watching on your screen. Um, so that's double adultery, and that, again, would release someone from bondage if, if that's something you're struggling with. And I'm in no way saying that if your spouse is struggling with that, you should just toss in the towel and walk away. Like That's not at all what Christ desires. He desires for us to have fruitful relationships and to work through things. And if you really love your spouse, you will give it all the effort you can. Um, try praying and fasting. Like There's so many things that we can attempt um, to try to break those patterns and, and try to heal our marriage. But like if you're with someone and, and 10 years down the road, they still won't break that habit and pay that attention to you, you're not just stuck forever. Um, so that's something that you should think about and, and pray about and try to try to let the Holy Spirit guide you on, on, on what's best for your situation. And hopefully the outcome with letting the Holy Spirit guide you and being prayerful on it and also fasting is that God will step in with divine intervention and miraculously heal your marriage, which, you know, it is common. Um, it's just work and faith. One of the reasons why we got into the topics of all these different things, folks, was this is some of the nature of why marriages and relationships end up falling apart. People don't feel like they can trust their partner anymore. They don't feel like they have a good protector. 
or they feel like the protector has become a predator or someone who's harmful or abusive and all that. And that's the reason why all this stuff has come around to these many different topics that we bring up. A lot of this stuff is absolutely devastating to the point where not only can a person have a marriage or a relationship, but they won't even be friends at the end of it all. It's that destructive, that devastating. So that's pretty much really all I have to say, unless you two have some more you want to share or you have some uh, Bible verses. There was someone out here who had asked this question, Hebrew, or, or Mr. Proverbs, that you might be able to answer since you had a Hebrew father. You see it? Yeah, no, any cause divorce, I'm not... Um... I'm not familiar with maybe if uh, maybe if Lou could offer some more context, I could I could offer some interpretation. But just off that one term, no, I'm I'm unfamiliar with it. I'm sorry. Rose, you got anything else for us? Uh oh, I think that our wonderful voices has put her to sleep. Goodness gracious. Well, like <laughs> usual, ladies and gentlemen, if you're, uh, like we said in the video before, if there's anybody out there on our last show who's feeling suicidal or you're feeling lonely and you feel like you need a friend, we're there for you. Me and Proverbs, we both have YouTube channels. You can contact us in various different ways. Just check the links in the description. If you feel like your marriage is having issues or trouble, but you don't have the money to go pay somebody 100 bucks an hour to listen to you both scream at each other, if you need somebody to talk to, we're there for you. Just get a hold of us, contact us, and we'll do what we can. We are not like professional psychiatrists or therapists and all that, but we are capable of being your pal, your friend. Anything else, folks? I think Rose went to sleep. Hopefully she had a pillow under her when she I, went down. I, I didn't. I was talking to you, and you, and, and you were muted. No, what's up? What were you going to say, Rose? No, I was looking for the question that uh, Steve was going to answer, and and that's part of why I didn't see the mute um, on uh, in the chat. What was the question? Oh, no, you did what I've done a few times, get <laughs> a conversation with yourself. Sometimes those are the best ones. But I'll go ahead and put the question up again for you. The question is from Lou, whatever his last name is, talking about Hebrew culture. Is anybody familiar with an, any cause for divorce? He's basically wondering what are the causes that you can get out of a, a marriage and go for a divorce if you have to. In Hebrew, I would imagine it would, he, you're talking about the Old Testament and it would be what we've been discussing. Is that not correct? Well, right. the way the question was framed, I feel like they're looking for something very specific. But yeah, if they're looking for reasons f that you were allowed to be divorced in the Hebrew culture and like the times of Moses, it would be adultery and it would be abuse. Um, but also it goes on beyond that. If a husband was not financially caring for his wife if she was having to live in the streets and go starving because her husband refused to be a provider that was a third reason for divorce and there were a couple other reasons uh this is a this is a reason why i like to often point uh christians back to the old testament um 
and not even to put you like under Old Testament laws, but it just offers a lot of context, which really helps clear up the New Testament. You know, the New Testament is a complement and a fulfillment of the Old Testament. And if you've never read or examined the Old Testament to know what those laws are, you're missing like half of the reasoning and purpose of the New Testament. It really does help clarify like how to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christian. Like it just answers so many questions. So I would strongly advise everyone you know, even the Old Testament can be intimidating because it's very large. It's like, uh, I think, just over two quarters uh, or two thirds of the Bible. But even just start off with the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, it'll answer so many questions that Christians struggle with because the New Testament can sometimes be a little vague when answering these questions. And that's because they really just reference back to the Old Testament. But if you don't have a solid foundation in the Old Testament, you are going to be confused when it comes to some of the New Testament. So I would, I would advise everybody to go check out at least the first five books of the Bible. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with you, um, Steve, because Jesus is speaking to a, a Jewish audience most of the time, and they already understand the Torah. So there is a in context and a hermeneutics that uh, often Jesus is pointing us back to understand, especially as Gentiles who have no context and unless we uh, read the Old Testament and understand it. I'm, I'm definitely not a, you know, a, a law thumper and I try not to be a Bible thumper, but um, you know, it, it pays to understand for, for your relationship with God and how your relationship with others is, um, it pays to understand the Hebrew or Jewish mindset in which our Savior was um, the cultivated, um, the cultivated plant in which we are grafted into. Yeah, that was beautifully summed up, Rosie. Um, and also, I think that a lot of a lot of Protestants, especially, are maybe, you know, just a little disenchanted with the Old Testament because they specifically love the story of Jesus and the apostles. And I agree. I absolutely love the New Testament. Um, it's the most beautiful thing ever written. But you would really be surprised of how many times Christ is referenced all throughout the entire Old Testament. Even from the Garden of Eden, when man sins and the ram is taken and God kills the ram and uses the skins to cover up the nakedness, right? The mark of our sin. Um, that is the very first foreshadow in the scriptures of Christ Jesus. And there are so many of those foreshadows of Christ Jesus in the Old Testament. I mean, the entire Old Testament is pointing to Christ. And, you know, if you have a a very firm, solid foundation in the New Testament, you'll appreciate the Old Testament even more because on 
almost every single page, but at least every chapter and every book, you'll see Christ in it again and again and again, and it'll actually blow your mind. It's it's uh, it's it's oh, eye opening. Yeah, even uh, and don't mean to get off topic, but um, the very first word of the Hebrew Bible is Bereshit. In the beginning, God created. And within just that first word, there is a prophecy foreshadowing his crucifixion. And it's called back in Revelation where Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, where, where if you actually look, uh, you know, and the beginning and the end. And um, it, the paleo Hebrew word or it in there, um, it's it's the Aleph and the Tav. The paleo Hebrew, the Aleph and the Tav create what you said, the ram. It's the shape of a ram's head and yeah. a cross. And you put those together and it is the ram that was sacrificed. <laughs> That's the yeah. first word in the Hebrew Bible in the original Paleo Hebrew context. Yeah, and there are so many of those connections. Like uh, in the New Testament, when Jesus says, I am, and they all run to pick up rocks because they want to stone him, that's because he's literally declaring that he is God. Because all the people who are being addressed and talked about in the New Testament, like Rosie mentioned earlier, these are Jews and Hebrews. They have a solid foundation in the Torah, in the prophets, in the writings, the Old Testament. And they're well aware that when Moses asks God, who should I tell them that you are? Like, they're going to want to know your name, God. He says, tell them I am. And the Jews knew this. This was not a new concept to them. This was not hidden knowledge. It was very well-known knowledge. Um, I am. Uh, so when Jesus declared, well, I am, he was letting them know because he knew that they already understood who I am is. He was telling them, I am God. Yeah, he's saying, I am the one that Moses spoke to. <laughs> All right, folks, we're getting like way, way off topic. And we're, I, want to, I want to put it out there again and remind people that if folks want to give us uh, some suggestions on topics to cover uh, in the Bible as well as spiritual life and all that, that would be great. Uh, I'd like you to, in a little bit, to be able to plug your channels, where people can find you, all that kind of stuff. And for anybody that may want to know, since we didn't get any actual professional marriage counselors in here, some people might ask, well, Brett, what do you think the solution is for a successful marriage? Well, at least, at least for me and my wife, we got to know each other for a couple of years before we actually decided to tie the knot. We, one thing that you'll know if, if the love is going to work is does that person know everything about you? Do they know your darkest secrets? Do they know the, the things that basically tickle you and make you happy and what it is that your buttons are. Does this person work on the same wavelength with you? Do you, do you think that you can actually, if you can be a friend with them, then you could also, you ever heard that song by Michael Bolton? How can we be lovers if we can't be friends? You see what I mean? So get to know the person really good. Don't just jump into it because of sexual desires or, 
because they seem interesting at the moment, really, really find out the, uh, the dirt on the person that you're with before you completely commit to that. Because you never know, a couple of years down the line, they might decide they're six years old and want to have a relationship with bikers, and you don't want that. Any last things? You want to plug your channels, and then we'll end it. So I'll just add really briefly before doing my, uh, my amazing plug is that I would strongly advise you to not marry someone unless they are your best friend, because that's going to make your marriage so much more, not only successful, but enjoyable to spend every day on a very intimate level with someone who is your best friend. And I am Proverbs guy with the Proverbs 2717 YouTube channel. Go check out my interviews with people like Mary Nell Wyatt Lee, who is the widowed wife of Ron Wyatt. And also by the grace of God, I was blessed to be the co-host of God TV radio. And I get to learn and participate in this thing with who I consider to be the absolute end all king of podcast radio. So thank you so much, Brett, for having confidence in me and giving me that shot. I really appreciate it. And I can't thank God enough for letting me learn under someone like you. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, okay, little Rosie, what do you got for us? Wrap it up. Um, my advice would be to, number one, seek for someone who is a, a strong believer in the faith and um, seek guidance through the scriptures and through the Holy Spirit. Um, because if there's someone out there for you, God already knows ahead of time who it's going to be. Um, that's it. I mean, that's how me and my husband got together. And 16 years strong this past uh, December. <laughs>